You're listening to audio from Park Church. More info and resources are online at parkchurch.org. Take care. This morning's scripture is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Again, that's Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ben. Well, good morning, Park Church. It's good to see you all. My name's Neil. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, yeah, just another, another quick plug for the public square coming up in, in two weeks. Uh, so we're, you know, Andrew mentioned we're hosting it at Cross Purpose. Jason Jans is the founder of that. It is um, increasingly nationally recognized as one of the most effective programs of taking people out of poverty and homelessness and getting them in a genuine uh, vocational career track. Um, and so we're going to hear from some of the graduates of that program. Like what's been their story? What's kind of like real life on the ground? What's it look like to, to see uh, the gospel transform their life, but also just the church be the church around them? Um, so we're gonna, we'll have some good conversation around that, hear from some different panelists, and then learn how we can, we can plug in further from there. So again, just another encouragement. Come, it's two weeks from tomorrow. Um, second, today's a good day. Uh, James Lapine is here. He has like deep bellowing voice uh, to usher us into worship, uh, which also signals that it is the Super Bowl today. Um, and I do not have to look at Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes on a screen at all today. Um, which is a very good thing in my book, unless Mahomes is on a commercial, then I suppose that I won't be able to avoid it. Um, but I think it's Stafford's time. It's Matt Stafford's time. It's true. Can't argue with that. Burrow will get there later. He'll have his time. All right. We're back in, uh, picking back up in Matthew. We're continuing in Matthew 14. Let me, let me pray for us, and then we will, we'll dive in together. Spirit, thank you that you meet us in the, in the particulars of where we are. Uh, Jesus, thank you that uh, it's, your, it's your tenderness, it's your kindness, it's your patience with us uh, that allows us to see reality for what it is, to see you for who you are, to see our lives for what they are and how you want to enter in and speak and minister and provide and nourish. So I ask this morning that as we, we come to this story familiar uh, to many of us, uh, may, you, may you re-enliven it 
uh, to our, our hearts and minds. We'd see ourselves in it, to see ourselves as one of the disciples following you, Jesus, and, and hearing your vo- voice, hearing your words, and being ushered into a particip- participation in your kingdom in a way that, that multiplies life, that calls us into the life that you provide for us. So, Father, may we feel your love. Spirit, may you minister to us. We, we recognize you are here, and we ask that you would speak and work and shine a light in the areas that we most need it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I grew up in the Midwest, rural Indiana, to be particular, and for all of its virtues, you know, Midwest hospitality, it's totally a, a real thing, as much kind of like cream and butter and sugar as you can put into the food, the better. Um, just makes us all a little like happier and plumper and like, I don't know, better, better hugs. I don't know. It, it seems to work. Um, but one thing we did not have was elevation. You know, maybe a few hundred feet in any direction. Um, and so when my wife and I moved out to Colorado a little over a decade ago, um, just the immensity of the mountains, the recognition of the beauty and, and being able to step into it and participate in the life of what happens there in the mountains, it, it captured us right away. We found different ways to do that as a couple and with friends, uh, but also I started about the same time uh, my, my grad program in seminary, and there were, there were a group of about 10 of us uh, that went through the program together, and we would try to get up to the mountains as often as possible together. And so we had this annual liturgy of, of going camping somewhere in the mountains, going a few hours in, and inevitably one of our little outings was to go jeeping, which I learned does not require a jeep. Uh, but just like a high clearance vehicle with tires that are fairly intimidating and you just like go next to cliffs that are unforgiving and like boulders the size of my front porch and somehow this is, um, it actually is fun. I'd say at first it didn't look like fun, but it actually is fun. Um, and our, our driver every time was one Jeff Rodlin. So if you guys have been around Park for a little while, I remember he was on staff uh, before he was one of our pastors before being sent to, to plant on the south side. And he was the guy with the Xterra. I mean, he was the guy with the tires on the car and had the experience. His wife uh, had grown up here, so he had a lot of jeeping experience. One particular year, Jeff had an ankle injury. And so he couldn't drive. He was back at camp. And, and so he dropped the keys in my hand, and I became the, uh, the designated jeeper for the, for the rest of the day, if that's the right term for it. Not really sure why he picked me. Um, but I said, hey, let's, let's go. Let's pack in the vehicle. And the first 20 minutes were, were wonderful. Um, it was kind of like riding the boulders just right. You know where to put the tire. If you get kind of a, a deep crevice, you know where to, to put the middle of the car so you don't get stuck in there. Felt pretty good, pretty confident. And then we hit a creek. We got stuck in the middle of that creek, which would have been okay. Like you can get, you can get out of that and kind of move some, some rocks around. But then we looked about three, four feet to our left and there was a 30-foot waterfall that just dropped off. Now, we, I think it's safe to say we, we began to feel the extent of our limitations at this point. My limitation as a jeeper, uh, my friend's limitation and their, their kind of confidence in me as their, their jeeper, um, somewhat justifiably, and, and also the, the, the limitations of our vehicle. I mean, we're just like stuck there in this head of a waterfall. Well, very quickly, uh, my group of friends, we broke up into three different groups and how we responded to those limitations. First group, they jetted to the other side of the creek and just kind of looked cynically in our direction, mostly my direction, and just like kind of waited, all right, figure this out. Like, we'll hang here on dry land, don't need to go next to the waterfall, we're good. 
Uh, the next group, uh, myself and one or two others, were like, well, we need to get to work. Like, let's grab some rocks, kind of shove it underneath the tires. Um, how do we block off some of this water so we can kind of push it around the other side, we can get enough traction. And finally, we, we sprung loose, but then that just took us into even larger boulders and then scraped on trees on either side of the car. And that was a fun conversation with uh, Jeff Rodlin afterward. Um, very costly decision. And then the third category was just one guy, and he stayed in the back seat the entire time. Uh, he, he didn't move. Uh, didn't move. He was uttering some things that, you know, we probably wouldn't expect a seminary student to be saying. Um, and some of those exegetical skills that I was learning in class, like, didn't really want to apply it to the sentences that were coming out of his mouth. A little, little intimidated by that. Um, he stayed put, and eventually, you know, we, we made it out. But limitations... We all have limitations, and we all bump into them, at least eventually, maybe we don't feel them uh, very presently right now, but when we slow down enough, when we're honest, we feel the extent of our capacities, our energies, we feel our limitations. The question that I'm curious about is what do you do with those limitations? Now, life still moves forward, things still have to happen, decisions are made, there are demands on us and on our lives. What do we do with those limitations? We have, I think, at least three options. They often overlap, and there may be some others. But one, we can outsource our limitations. We expect other people to entirely take the limitations upon themselves and fix it. They take care of it. Or maybe we kind of life hack our way through the situation. We find some way that we don't have to bear it. We don't have to feel it. We just kind of put it out on others. Well, that was my, my first group of friends that, that went to the other side of the creek. Like, all right, we'll outsource it to the people who got us into this mess, or person, rather. And, and you, can, you can figure this out. So we can outsource our limitations. We can also ignore our limitations. We work harder. We do more. We expect our capacities to just kind of grow endlessly with the demands around us and on our lives. And we don't really identify, oh, I, I am a limited human. No, we just push further in and expect that we can take on whatever comes our way. And this is what I try to do in this story and often in life. It's like, hey, we can find a way through, let's push through. And it's like, hey, maybe we should turn around. I was like, yeah, but let's go a little bit further. And that's when tree on one side, tree on the other. And it was a very, like I said, costly way of dealing with my limitations. So we can outsource, we can ignore, we can also fixate on our limitations. Thinking more, more and more about just what we don't have, what we cannot do, how depleted we are, how, how under-resourced we are getting sucked into shame and, and stress and ultimately inaction, which is where my, my lovely friend in the back seat was, you know, truly wondering if he was ever going to see his wife again. It's like, in the back seat. But we can do this. All of us do this. I, I find myself fixating oftentimes on like what, what, what I don't have, what I cannot do, and then get trapped in this pattern of being. But we're often some mix of these different responses, and I, I know I often am. And I felt the negative impacts of each of these, both in my own life, but also in the lives of those around me. And it makes me wonder, is there another way in our pursuit of Jesus? Is there a better path that he has charted for us that, that actually multiplies life, that, that brings us into a place of, of flourishing and nourishment, instead of just kind of rearranging the capacities we have or actually depleting them? Where we are in, in Matthew this morning, the story of, of Jesus feeding the massive crowds before him, 
uh, through his disciples. It introduces us to, to yet another dimension, kind of fills out more fully another dimension of Christ's kingdom. Like what does it look like to, to live under his reign, of Christ as king? The past couple weeks, sitting with this text, just allowing it to, to wash over me and through me, it's been, it's been intimately transformative. And so I'm excited to, to walk through this passage and, and draw out things that I think are going to hit all of us in some different ways. So let's, let's look back in the text. Now, if you close your Bible or turn off your phone or whatever you have, I encourage you to open that back up. And we'll be walking through Matthew 14, 13 through 21, uh, the rest of our time together. So Matthew 14, starting verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. So the this right there in verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, this actually refers back to verses 1 and 2. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miracle, miraculous powers are at work in him. And then we get this aside, this kind of terrifying aside of what it, what it looks like under Herod's reign. That he, that he throws this birthday party that is just built around self, the expense of other people, kind of using others in this, this abusive way uh, to elevate his sense of fame. And it, it tells us the story of what he did to John the Baptist. Well, what Jesus had now heard about was that Herod was making the connection. He was learning more about Jesus' fame. He was saying, hey, there's, some, there's something uh, that, that connects the, the ministry of John the Baptist with the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus knows the story. He knows what happened to John the Baptist. We just got the flashback. And he's saying, this is not the time to confront the governing powers. This is not going to be fruitful for my ministry. This is not going to further my mission at this point. No, Jesus has no issue confronting power. He has no, no, no issue speaking to the governing authorities when he needs to, but it's, it's, it's not yet. It's not quite time and not the, in this way. So his response is to move out of Herod uh, Antipas' territory and actually into Antipas' brother's territory, Philip. If you remember from last week, Antipas and Philip have a complicated relationship, uh, mostly because beyond all the power struggles, um, Philip's ex-wife had an affair with Herod Antipas, and then they got married. So there's this kind of war between them, relationally. Well, Jesus wants to be alone. He escapes Herod Antipas' territory, goes across the lake, and he just wants to commune with the Father. He just wants to, to be, you can imagine, he wants some stillness, some solitude, to be for a little while. Well, the crowds catch wind of what's going on. And there's this growing awareness of, of Jesus' power, his, when he speaks, how he heals, what he's able to accomplish. The suspicion is rising amongst the people and saying, could, could this be? Like, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one who has come to deliver us? Let's go check it out. So by the thousands, uh, they go by foot around the lake to meet Jesus there. So when he gets there, he meets the crowds. And no doubt he's exhausted, longing to just be with the Father, and yet when he sees the masses, what does he do? Look with me in verse 14. When he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He saw them, saw them for who they are. He saw where they were, what they needed, the specifics of their situation, and then was moved with compassion. And you'll see this again and again throughout 
the Gospels. Whenever Jesus has compassion, he doesn't just kind of sit with the emotion. It actually moves him out in action to do something about that, to care for the people in front of him, to lay down his life in some way to minister to the people based upon the need they have. And here, it's to heal them. Well, this apparently goes on for a while. And while they're not yet mentioned, the disciples um, are assumed to be with Jesus. And this is like what you do with your rabbi, with your teacher. You, you follow him around, especially if you're taking a little boat trip or you need a cruise. So they're, they're kind of getting them across. And there they are ministering alongside Jesus, learning his way of life, participating in the ministry he's doing. So finding a, a way to, to jump in. Maybe they're kind of organizing the line of the people coming up to receive healing from Jesus. Uh, maybe they're, they're talking with the people afterward and continuing to minister to them. But somehow they are connected to what Jesus is doing, and they're starting to get tired. You can imagine they're hungry, and they begin to recognize some of the details of where they are. You know, they're in this desolate place, which can mean wilderness. It can also just be a remote place, not a whole lot of people. In fact, the, the nearest villages are some several miles away, and so they, they begin thinking logistically. Look with me in verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. There's a little bit of debate here. Is this the, the disciples being like, Man, we're genuinely concerned about the welfare of these several thousand people, uh, maybe up to like 10, 20,000 people, and we just want them to go get food, like go get dinner. They're probably tired. We're feeling it. They're probably feeling it too. Here's a good plan. Let's shut it down and, and send them off. Um, but like I said, the, the, the towns are some several miles away. These are like smaller towns. They can only handle maybe a couple hundred people of visitors per day. A lot of scholars believe actually this is more of a sense of escape. Let's outsource the problem. Let's send them off. I'm tired, I'm hungry. We were expecting to have some like alone time, just like be and to pray and to rest. Let, let's, let's kind of farm our issue off onto some others. And so they asked Jesus, hey, will you, will you just call it quits? Let's be done for the night and let's move forward to get some of that rest and dinner that we so long for. Well, Jesus' response to them is fascinating. Look with me in verse 16. But Jesus said, they need not go away, you give them something to eat. They need not go away, you give them something to eat. Jesus doesn't say, yeah, good point. Um, there, there really is a whole lot of food around here. We don't have much to give them. Um, it's going to take a little bit of while, you know, a little while to, to get to these towns, to buy the food. We don't have what's necessary, so good plan. He also doesn't say, Hey, thanks for bringing this to my attention. You guys sit tight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whip up a little feast here over communion with the Father, and I'll have kind of like the, the full amount uh, that, that is needed for the thousands of people. You go recline on the grass with the rest of the crowd. I'll take care of it. Instead, Jesus intentionally draws out the disciples' limitations. He draws out their limitations saying, you give them something to eat. But he knows what they're experiencing. He knows what they have and what they don't have. He knows the questions they have. He knows the, uh, the, the capacities that they're feeling the end of. He knows the, the doubts they have concerning Jesus' ministry and his identity, the assumptions they have about who he is. They know where, he knows where they are in their spiritual journey. And he says, you give them something to eat. And they respond in verse 17. They said to him, 
You know, we have only five loaves here and two fish. So, okay, we, we have something, but it's not much. In fact, the, the way they say it literally translated would be, we have not here, emphasizing we don't have, except five loaves and two fish. So, okay, yeah, I, I guess we have something. We have something. But do you see the need? Do you see the demands? Do you see the crowds? Do you see, you know, it says later in the text that 5,000 men, this is a typical way of counting in that culture, this is probably between 10 and 20,000 people when you count the whole families. Do you see the need, Jesus? We've got enough for maybe a half dozen people, not even enough for us, just as disciples with you. And even then, with those six people, they need something else to supplement. Like, this is embarrassingly small of what we have. This is trifling. We might as well not even mention it. It's passed off by a small boy, probably his lunch, maybe a little bit to share. We don't have anything. Based on the need, based on the demands, we do not have what it takes. But where is this your story? You know, maybe you're here today and you think, I'm, I'm trying to navigate life, the different responsibilities I have, the work demands, the expectations on me. If you're, you're married, trying to, to be a faithful husband or wife, if you've got kids, you're trying to like, be this effective mom or dad and invest in your children. If you have different commitments that are pulling you in different directions, different hats that you wear. Trying to be involved in your local church, you got the family obligations in different directions, maybe you're training for the, the Colfax Marathon, and you want to have like some sort of semblance of a you know, social life in the midst of all that, and then you throw in the other things you're walking through right now. And maybe for you right now, it's relational strain that you just do not know how this is ever going to be resolved, if it will be. Is it possible that this relationship could be mended after what's happened, after what's been said, after what I've done? Is there a path forward? Is there even willingness on the other side? Maybe it's a project at work or just like the, the incessant demands that you experience that feel impossible to ever arrive at a sense of completion. Maybe it's cultural dynamics within your work environment. It's like squeezing the life out of you and you're wondering, has it become so toxic I need to quit? But it's like, how do I pay the bills? How do I meet the needs of my family? What's next? Maybe it's a gnawing struggle with sin. Could be a regular return to porn or drinking too much or explosive anger or just unhealthy pattern of, of certain dating relationships. Maybe it's financial stress you're walking through right now. Decisions that other people have made that have impacted you, or maybe your own decisions that you're feeling the repercussions of. Medical bills that have piled up. Never, maybe just never getting to the place where you feel stable financially and always having to focus on that area of your life. Maybe you're in over your head with school demands and responsibilities. You look at the syllabus and the calendar and the things you have to get done, you say, there's just no way. There's no way over the next several weeks I'm ever going to be able to, to get through this, to actually get done the things that are demanded of me. If there's an ongoing battle with depression or eating disorders or a sense of shame or some area of abuse that you've walked through in the past, you've experienced in the past or maybe presently right now, and it's, as much as you long for healing, you long for restoration, still has not fully come. Maybe it's an unfulfilled desire for a certain career track or a relationship or position in life or marriage or children or a certain type of relationship with those children that you do have. Or maybe what retirement would look like when you got there, the timeline of getting to retirement. It could be a thousand different things, but wherever we have come to our limitations, our inability, our lack of resources, 
where we just feel like, I, I don't have what it takes at the edge of ourselves. We have options of what we do. What do we do with those limitations? When we feel it, we can outsource, expect other people to solve it for us. Now we can ignore and just like power through another day, another moment, another week, another month. No matter the, the kind of destructive cost that my own life feels or the people around me, those are connected to me, just power through. We can so fixate on the limitations that we're just like sunk in inaction and shame that we don't move forward and feel stuck. Or, or we can listen to the voice of Jesus. We can listen to the voice of Jesus because the disciples here have their limitations drawn out in this exposing way. They, they see in their hands, like so visible, like this is what we have. We, we got five loaves and two fish. They, Compared to the demands, this is nothing. And yet Jesus draws them out in such a way that they have to, to articulate that, to speak that in his presence. These are my limitations. This is where I'm at right now. This is where I feel I'm, I'm, I'm at the edge. I do not have what it takes. I feel my inadequacy to accept the raw fact that we simply do not have what is required. And yet we must find some way to move forward. And here we receive what Jesus says to the disciples. Look at me back in verse 17. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. So as we identify, these are my limitations. These are my inadequacies. These are the places that I fall short. This is what I do not have. Identifying that in the presence of Jesus, no matter how weak we may feel, we can then turn and hear the voice of Jesus saying, bring those to me. Bring those to me. Place them in my hands. Pass them over to me. Allow me to receive them for you. Well, let's see what Jesus does as the disciples bring their limitations to him. Look with me now in verse 19. Then he, Jesus, ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Here's where Jesus takes control of the situation. You know, he, he calls the crowds, like, hey, go sit down, recline on the grass. And this, this should be reminiscent for us of Psalm 23, where the good shepherd invites his people, even commands his people to make us, to, to, to go beside still waters, but to lie down in green pastures. So he's calling his people to, to rest so that he may provide. And then he says a blessing over the food, which is what would happen in a Jewish home when guests are welcomed in. But here's what's even more staggering. Jesus then gives the bread back to the disciples and has them do the work to distribute the meal. Look with me again in the middle of verse 19. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. When the disciples brought their limitations into the presence and the hands of Jesus, Jesus took them, transformed them, transformed their limitations, and then handed them right back and said, okay, now go get to work. I think sometimes we have this misconception of, of kind of giving our burdens over to Jesus is that it just kind of erases any need to walk through the reality of those things. That all of a sudden we're just not going to feel any of the pain or the angst or the reality or the weakness or the inadequacy, but rather what we see here, yes, he, he shoulders that for us. He burdens, he takes on the burdens for us, but then as he transforms that limitation, that weakness with his presence, with his power, he hands it back over to his disciples and he says, okay, now trust me and move forward. In that place of weakness, 
It can't be lost on us that the way this miracle takes place uh, is not Jesus kind of saying, hey, okay, I got the, I got the fish and the loaves, and I'm going to do the kind of break and the blessing, and all of a sudden, you know, the pile is just going to grow. And you get this like mountain of bread, and it's like, take your baskets, disciples, uh, go empty it to the crowds, and then once, once you're done, come back, and there'll always be more here, just kind of fill that back up, go back up out to the crowds and keep giving it to them. Instead, the miracle takes place as they are actively trusting Jesus in the place of their weakness, of their pla- in the place of where they, they feel their limitation, they feel their depletion, they feel their inability, and they say, okay, I'm going to move forward, trusting that God is, is, is at work in the midst of this. And there, their ministry, their presence, their trust becomes a nourishment to those around them. It nourishes them, it fills them up, it also becomes life-giving nourishment to those around them. Well, here's where we see Jesus as both fulfillment and contrast. First is fulfillment. The, the Jewish people have this, this aching, this longing for a deliverer. Now, for one, to, 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 get, to finally rescue them, to deliver them. You know, whatever kind of ruler or occupation that existed at that time period in their history, they long to be delivered. That's it's much of the reason why the, the massive crowd followed them. They're willing to, uh, to race o- over, to go around the lake to meet him there. Like, this could be the guy. This could be the Messiah. This could be the ruler that's going to come and crush our enemy and deliver us. They knew. They knew they were looking for a king like David, but one who would rule in a more effective way. They, they were longing for this, this one who can mediate the presence of God in a more powerful way. And they were longing for a prophet, one like Moses, one like Moses, who delivered the people in the Exodus out of Egypt, God used it to part the sea, but then also to provide manna in the wilderness, to provide bread in the desolate places. Now, this connection was, was very clear to them, to, to the disciples, to the crowds, but also to the first century readers of Matthew, that Jesus is, is setting himself up here as the true and better prophet, the true and better Moses, the one who has come to fulfill all of the expectations and the longings. As one commentator put it, Jewish tradition had come to believe that the Messiah would repeat this miracle of abundant provision of food on an even grander scale. Jesus was demonstrating here that he was the fulfillment of what they had longed for, the one who would provide bread from heaven because he was the Messiah sent from God. So Jesus is the fulfillment, the the thing they were longing for, the one they were longing for. But he was also a contrast. Look at me in verses 20 and 21. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, the gospel authors, including Matthew, they, they had options in how they, re, they, they would arrange uh, the different stories. You know, sometimes chronology would inform that. Um, other times they would insert different stories uh, where it would fit a kind of broader theological point that they were making. And so you see here, we cannot miss the fact that just before Jesus plays host to this massive feast where he's, he's investing himself, he's, he's giving himself over for the provision and the nourishment of others, just before that, we see Herod, a different type of ruler, also having a party, also having a feast, but one that is centered on himself, that is using other people, using the energy and the capacity of others to build himself up, to build his own kingdom up. And so we see that kingdom contrasted with the kingdom of Jesus, who, at this point in his ministry, 
he could have had something very much like that. His popularity is growing. I mean, he's got thousands of people following him around the lake. He could have seized that opportunity. Technically speaking, he could have seized that opportunity and said, great, let's build something. Let's go. To elevate self, to seek his own glory, but instead he pours himself out. He gives himself over to minister to those around him. Much of what Matthew is, is doing in his gospel is showing us just how upside down the kingdom of God is as seen in the person and work of Jesus. That's why we have the, you know, the upside down crowns. I don't know if you guys saw the, a few weeks ago, we got the, the decals on the back windows, but upside down crowns signifying that, yes, genuine kingdom, genuine king, but not what we expect. It's not what the world expects. It's all, often not what we expect. Even as kind of trained as we are, maybe in, in different uh, stories of Jesus and recognizing what we see in Scripture, but it pushes against the things that we anticipate he will do in our lives. But Christ's kingdom is the true and better one. It's the one that lasts and it's the one that ultimately satisfies us, gives us what we truly need. So here's what I want us to see. Through his presence and power, King Jesus transforms our limitations into satisfaction, even unto abundance, for us and for others, as we respond with humble trust. This is life in Christ's kingdom. Through his presence and power, King Jesus transforms our limitations into satisfaction, even unto abundance. You notice that the 12 baskets full afterward. It's a better miracle than the manna. For us, but also for others, as we respond in humble trust, because this is life in Christ's kingdom. And this really is the paradigm of discipleship. When Jesus says, hey, come and follow me, this is a rhythm that he's inviting us into. To again and again, to, to commune with him, to offer up our limitations, to, to, to name our inadequacies in his presence, to offer those over to him, to allow him to transform those and us in the process, and then to send us back out and say, trust me, walk with me, abide in me. You've been given my spirit. You, you, can't, you can. You can move forward, and I will provide. It's not going to be in a way that you can control. It's not in a way that you can see until it happens, but I will be with you, and I will provide as you walk in humble trust. Each time I, I preach, I seek to, to live under the text and be formed by the text uh, before saying anything about it to anybody else. I, I just don't think I have any business uh, trying to tell other people, hey, this, this might relate to you in your life here we see in, in God's word if I'm not being shaped by that same word. And, and sometimes it takes a little bit of work to, to say, okay, what, what kind of particulars of my life have, is God confronting right now? How is he changing me? What's he doing? Um, past couple weeks, it took no time. Uh, it was deep and immediate where I saw the resonance in my own life and story. I'm, I'm in a season right now where I feel my limitations. Maybe that's you as well. You're feeling your limitations in different ways. My, my longings to be a certain type of a father and husband, a pastor, a friend, just like a human, just like what it means to, to be a human and the things that I kind of expect of myself and, and where I fall short. And again and again, having to to identify those things. And so difficult to, to recognize those even in my own soul, let alone to, to name those before other people. But then the invitation of Jesus to, to name limitations in his presence. And then for him to, to look at us, to look at me and say, bring that to me. Bring them to me. Allow me to care for you. Allow me to minister to you. I, I, I see that. And I will take it up in my hands. And I'll invite you into full communion with myself. 
Because when we bring our limitations to Jesus, we're actually bringing ourselves. It's not bringing maybe necessarily the the areas of our our life that we kind of want to present to other people, the areas that we feel like we have a little bit more control over, to kind of put on display, to be received in a certain way, respected or honored in a certain way. But no, God in Christ loves the actual you, the one that actually exists, and that includes our limitations, that includes our areas of brokenness, that includes our need before him. That's the person that he loves and came to die for. This is the invitation of Jesus. Be drawn in by his presence. See his gaze as one who is tender toward us, who who knows our limitations, wants us to identify those, not to shame, brother, to say, yes, I've, I've seen all of this, and I'm the one who has come and suffered and died, who bore all of that on the cross, who had my body broken open, my blood poured out, and then rose again on the third day to conquer sin and death so that you may be invited to, into life and life to the full. And so again, I want us to hear, through his presence and power, King Jesus transforms our limitations into satisfaction, even unto abundance, both for us and for others. As we move forward in humble trust, this is life in Christ's kingdom. And may it be so for us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are this type of king. That you're a king of abundance. You're a king of satisfaction. Your kingdom is marked by not necessarily what we expect, but it's what we need. It's what we truly long for. The hungers of our soul, the places we thirst, you're the one who, who enters in and just multiplies satisfaction to us. So we know what it looks like to receive you, to just be in the pathway of your grace and your presence. But to feel the freedom, to name reality, to be honest before you, to commune with you, to walk with you, to be sent back out by you, to be filled by your spirit who heals, who empowers, who strengthens, who equips, and who allows us to be one who, who brings nourishment to the world. And we need your help for this. And we need your, your patience and we need the ability, the, the supernatural ability to, uh, to recognize in our souls what your gaze is toward us that would draw us out. Say, yeah, I actually feel okay. I, I'm actually safe enough to name in the specific places where I'm most limited, most inadequate, and to know that I'm going to be received in love and in tenderness and in kindness. So may that be so for us. Just may you work. Spirit, may you, yeah, may you search us and know us. May you shine a light in the dark places. May you provide a feast for us in the places that are desolate in our souls. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Heart Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.